in my view, um, as I speak during my talks, one of the first things I say to them is this. You got to be intellectually honest for the information you're going to going to receive. There are people who, you know, it's a hoax. I, I don't I don't want to hear anything. I know it's a fake. Okay, I won't talk to you about it. And you're not being intellectually honest because you're not receiving the information. There was a gentleman by the name of Yves Delage, who was a French zoologist, studied at the Sorbonne a very prestigious uh, institution in Paris. And during the turn of the century, 1902, he and his colleagues were having a discussion about the photographs of the shroud, first ones taken in 1898, four years earlier, which demonstrated... Secundo Pia, the photographer who took the image, he said when he, or photographed, when he went into his studio to develop the image and it came back an, an, a positive image on negative plate, his arm shook and he almost dropped a large glass plate because the image coming out freaked him out. He thought he was the first one in 1900 years to actually look at the face of Christ. So these pictures went out around the world. And in 1902, the uh, the Parisian scientists at the Sorbonne were discussing this enigma. And Yves Delage said this, it's Christ. They blew a gasket, these agnostic atheists, and called him a lot of names, wanted to kick him out, kick him out of the, uh, the prestigious uh, institution that he belonged to. And here's what he said, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, hey, if it was anyone other than Christ, no one would have an, a, a, a problem. He said, I believe Christ was a historical person, and no one should be scandalized that there might exist material traces of his earthly life. I said, that is an intellectually honest statement from an agnostic. Yeah. Agnostic. Yeah. And that's where we need to go with the Shroud. You can be irreligious, you can be an atheist, you can be a Hindu, whatever it is, but come to it with intellectual honesty with the information you receive. Yeah. And I thought 100 years ago, 120 years ago, Yves Delage captured that scientific um, independence, if you will. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it's fascinating you say that because uh, even Bart Ehrman, famous agnostic slash potential atheist, um, even he famously has said over and over again that there is no uh, honest historian who would dare say that Christ didn't exist, that he at least was a historical figure. Right. There is a gentleman, he's no longer living, but he was one of the world's top anthropologists, ethnologists, study of people, groups, cultures. And they asked him, look at the image of the shroud and tell us what you think, people group. He said he looks like a physical type that would be a, of a noble Arab uh, a clan or uh, a Semite. He places them in the Middle East okay. uh, anthropo uh, anthropologically. He places the man in the shroud in the Middle East. I thought that was telling. Also, there's blood on the shroud, type AB, uh, which is the least, the least 
popular blood type in the world except Israel. 18% of the population have AB blood type. Mm -hmm. The man in the shroud is AB blood type. So, you know, it's really fascinating. We did, uh, recently, we did an episode uh, about six, about six months ago on uh, Eucharistic miracles, all right? And in Eucharistic miracles, when... Lancio, Lanciano. Lanciano, uh, yep. Lanciano was is one of older ones, yep. right? And there's also uh, Buenos Aires, yep. among others. Yep. All of them are AB blood. Yes. When they're tested. Every last one Incredible. of them is AB blood. <laughs> By the way, you may not know about, about this. But there's another cloth you have to know about if you're going to talk about the Shroud of Turin. It's called the Sudarium of Oviedo. That's Spain, Oviedo, Spain. It's been there since the 7th century. And it's about, it's a cloth about the size of a, excuse me, large dish towel. Okay. Doesn't have an image on it. It's got stains all over it, blood, pleural fluid from the lungs, uh, type AB blood. If you take this cloth and superimpose it over the face of the shroud, the bloodstains match completely. Mm. It's believed that the Sudarium of Oviedo was the hood placed around Christ's head as he was in death on the cross. That probably John, the disciple, went up a short ladder, wrapped a towel around his head as a hood. Back then, there was nothing dignified looking at the face of a dead man, just like today. They, and there's Jewish law, you cover that face. So when they got to the tomb, they took that hood off. The Bible says, rolled up, wrapped up over here, and then wrapped him in the long, winding sheet. When the image was created, it wasn't created on the hood around the head because that was removed, placed over here. Uh, it was only on the long cloth, the shroud itself. So here we have another cloth in existence, which seems to authenticate the shroud in terms of the blood stains, the lining up of the wounds. There's even a there's even a shroud. Uh, uh, there's some shroud pollen on the sudar. Uh, there's some thorn pollen on the sudarium, which suggests that whatever was wrapped around the head of Christ. If the thorns were there, which they were, transferred pollen onto the sudarium as well as the shroud. You have pollen evidence that lines up, blood evidence that lines up. And so there's so there are ancillary evidences which support the authenticity of this cloth. Okay. And um, you know, extraneous. Yeah. That that authenticate the. Uh... So when you do your exhibits, um... which are great, by the way. <laughs> yes. What Thank what you. all are you able to bring, and how easy or hard is it for you to get difficult? Access? And the older I get, it gets more difficult. But I have uh, in the early '90s, I ordered from New York large images of the shroud. They're eight feet tall and they're four feet wide. It's got the front image and the dorsal image. Uh, and so I have those I bring, and I have a light box. Only a few of them are in the world. I have one that was given to me, and it's a light box. It's a miniature shroud. If you were standing in the front of the shroud, that's what you'd see in the light box. So those are two feature items that I bring. I also had a, a blacksmith make an authentic Roman lance, mm -hmm. authentic nails, 
my buddy, who's Joe Fixit, and he can do everything, made scourges for me. I found evidences of three different types of scourges. One, they used sheep knuckles, sheep bones, sharpened. They also used broken pieces of pottery, pot sherds. And they used lead balls that looked like dumbbells. The man in the shroud was scourged by those lead balls. Probably had jagged edges to them. And, um, and so I bring those replicas, if you will. Uh, I have a plant, uh, a thorn plant. I have the leaves of the thorn plant that I display, as well as the the uh, the uh, thorns, the spikes, there too. And it was an immature plant. It's called Gundalia turniforti. grows only in Jerusalem. Blooms March and April of the year during Passover. I bring a, a, a sample of that for people to see. And I have many other things I've gathered over the years. And it's it's an effort to take it out and for people to see. But I always give that option to people because these are things you'll never see in a lifetime. And so I'm glad to do the grunt work to, to bring it to people and let them see it. Because it's sobering. It's sobering. <clears throat> Bible says, and they crucified. And they led him away to crucify him. And they scourged him. Well, what does that mean? The Bible says the whole band of soldiers came out. I looked it up. How many are a band? 600 to 1,000. Came out spit on them? I thought to myself, did every single one of them spit on them? Did they line up and every one of them had their turn and struck them? 600? I thought, my God. So there are things, the face is disfigured, the nose is broken, tip of his nose is missing with dirt ground in it. What kind of dirt? Travertine aragonite grows, uh, you'll only find it on the streets of Jerusalem. So this man walked barefoot on the streets of Jerusalem. Who does it sound like? So these are all the things we have to bring to the table when we're talking about the shroud. It's the, uh, it's the multiplicity of evidence from all, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, science, history, theology. I don't care what, you know, uh, dynamic you bring into it. It, 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 it speaks to that, and it answers questions. So, you know, people say, how after 40 years can you still be turned on by this thing? Because we're discovering things that just fascinate us uh, as we move along with this. Mm. And, uh, and it's interesting. I believe that we're living in a time in human history where uh, the Bible talked about talked about prophecy, his second coming. Talks about his second coming more than his first coming. They missed it the first time. A few of them got it, but they missed it. But he did talk about things to be aware of prior to his second coming. One of them was lawlessness. Are we living in a time of lawlessness? The second one is sexual perversion. We're living in a time of sexual perversion in America. And other things that Jesus predicted, weather patterns. And it's interesting that the Shroud of Turin remains. It was brought out during the pandemic. 
for people to contemplate and and pray before and that it's still here it's still speaking and it may be the time in human history where it has the most to say that it will ever have to say because now as in 1898 the first photograph was taken we we found out that the cloth itself is the negative when you take a picture of a positive image developed in the dark room right. it reverses itself some of you are a little bit younger. You may not remember when you used to take a picture, have to take your film to the drugstore, you get your negatives back and your positives. The shroud is the negative. When you photograph it, the lifelike image emerges. And that's when science took off. 1902, they were talking about it at the Sorbonne. And he said, it's Christ. And they went nuts. So for about 120 years now, we've had the most sophisticated equipment available to man. Look at this thing. And in no way has it ever been debunked, no matter what the naysayers say. And so you said that was brought out during the pandemic uh, through the Catholic Church. Yes. So does the Catholic Church have uh, control over it now? Yes. And for centuries, they were the guardians and the protectors for a royal family, the Savoy family, who received it in 1453 as part of a, a deal with a widow who had it. And it's a long story. But anyway, the Catholic Church guarded it and protected it and housed it for the royal family of Italy since 1453. In 1983, the last king who was exiled during World War II to Portugal, Italy sent their king away, their monarchy. He willed it to the Catholic Church, who had been the protectors and the guardians for centuries. Instead of giving it to his family, he willed it to the church. It's been in Torino, Turin, since uh, 1598. Uh, 1498, yeah. Fascinating. So... Uh, it now is owned by the Catholic Church. But I know a number of years ago, uh, John Paul uh, said it doesn't belong to the Catholic Church. It belongs to all of Christendom. Mm -hmm. and, and he's right. And they've never really taken a firm stance on the Shroud. Some popes would say it's, a, it's, it's an icon of his suffering. Others have said it's him. But nothing official from the Catholic Church that this is the real deal. Gotcha. Their actions, though, over the centuries act like they believe it's the real deal. I got them out already. Let me, say, let me say something. During the centuries, you would see paintings and crucifixes of Jesus with nails through the palms. He was nailed in his hands and feet. They've actually done studies with cadavers taken dead bodies, not claimed, vagrants, and hung them on crosses with a nail through the palm to see what happened. Went right through, within minutes, fell down. Conclusion, couldn't nail it through the palm. Medieval artists didn't know that. They've actually done studies. There's, and there, you don't see any thumbs on the man in the shroud on his hands. You only see four fingers. Why is that? When you drive a nail through the wrist, you sever the median nerve that controls the, sec the extension and flexion of the thumb. A medieval forger would never have known this. 
If you heard of carpal tunnel syndrome, that's the median nerve getting aggravated. You ask them how painful that is. Medical doctors have said this is called causalgia. It's called causalgia. It's probably the most intense pain a human could ever suffer, as well as the thorns going into the scalp affect the trigeminal nerves, the central nervous system. A medieval forger would never have known of this, driving the nail through the wrist instead of the palm. He was nailed in the hand. But the original language in Hebrew, hand, means fingertips to elbow. That's what hand means. So it doesn't violate the language. Yeah. It's just that we didn't know medically because we didn't test it. But the more we test, the more we find authentic. Wow. You know. I got a question. There's, there's a number of, like, I would curious for your thoughts on any number of the objections that folks have brought up over the years. But maybe... Maybe it'll steer it kind of asking you this fundamental question. So, like, with all these scientific claims about, you know, you know where the image came from, how it represents a body, et cetera, you know, an important concept in science is, like, falsifiability. What would be conditions in which a theory would be proven false? Like, if there was a, a community of sentient bacteria under the ocean that was dated back to 3 billion B.C., I might question the theory of evolution, for instance. <laughs> so, for you... What would be your condition for that? What, what would be the, the evidence that for you would prove that the shroud was a forgery? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I would have to see uh, pigment, uh, you know, uh, some kind of an artistic uh, forge, uh, you know, forgery method that hasn't been detected. Um, <laughs> Keith, that's a question I don't think I have an answer for uh, because so many things that I've studied over the years point in one direction that, um, you know, uh, I, I guess maybe if, if if the scorch went through the cloth to the backside, you could say, well, maybe it was thrown over a statue, a hot statue, and pulled off because that will do it. It will scorch it through to the backside. But... That isn't the case. So I don't know that I have an answer. It's a good question, but I don't I'm, know. I'm honestly, my example yeah. for if evolution was highly contrived, would there be, so thinking like to the, um, the carbon dating, I know there's, there's a lot of, there was a lot of negotiation yes. on conditions in which it would carbon data. They were yeah. trying for like seven yes. labs. They end Boy, up with You did three. your homework in a short <laughs> period of time. They, um, they, they, they agreed to seven, seven different sites on the cloth. They would take samples from seven different sites. When it came time to take the sample, they went to the most contaminated area where a sample was taken previously because, well, this is where we took it before, even though they decided can't take it here. The last minute they did. And they ruined the, uh, you know, uh, credibility of the test. In so, my so there's view. been a bunch of objections to it. There's yeah. been some answers. There's some folks who've suggested that it would take like two thirds of the material being contaminated just to date it back to you know one AD or 33 AD or whatever. Is there a set of conditions under which they would redo the carbon dating and then come to the same or a similar date that would cause you to say, okay, maybe this isn't. Well, there are uh, things they can do. They can take uh, from seven, seven or how many different sites they want to take from, from the main body of the cloth. They can tease out a thread, and you would never know it's missing from the main body, not the most contaminated area where they took the sample prior. So 
if they did that, uh, uh, there would be a homogeneous uh, uh, sample uh, taking from the main body, not the edge. And uh, that would give us, and that was where they were supposed to go. And at the very last minute, they deviated. I think there were 13 protocols that they agreed upon that were violated. Uh, and when taking the sample, that they said, we need seven laboratories, seven different sites from the main body, and that'll give us a real good sample. And um, so I think that's what would have to be done again, uh, or for the first time. It wasn't done the first time. And I don't think they're going to allow it. They screwed it up so badly that it took a lot of heat, the Catholic Church, a lot of heat. And they said, how can you screw this up so badly? Uh, it may be the sample is legitimately medieval because it was in a fire in 1532. They put patches on it. They put a backing cloth on it to strengthen it. And there's evidence that that side strip where they took the sample, that there was a reweave. They've seen splicing. They've seen splicing of one area to the other in that region, which strongly suggests that there was added material to strengthen it during the Middle Ages. What did it date? Medieval. The date's fine, but not of the main body that's indicative of, you know, the actual, uh, you know, meat of the cloth. Do you think they would have been able to detect that during the testing? Because I know some folks have brought up, like... Detect what, well, Keith? Detect that there was, like, a hidden reweave or something mm. like that. Because some folks have suggested that even, even with modern technology under a microscope, you would still be able to detect a reweave before you went. They detected it, it after the, the test. Uh, a fellow I know, him and his wife, were just theorizing, saying this thing is probably, uh, there had to be areas of, 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 of that side strip that were repaired. And sure enough, they sent their research to Ray Rogers, Dr. Ray Rogers, he had a lightweight job his career. He was a thermal chemist at Los Alamos that developed the atomic bomb. This guy was, you know, he was, he was brilliant. And he said, give me five minutes and I'll debunk that theory that it was part of a reweave. He happened to have a sample of the shroud given to him that he had in his storage. And he brought it out. He said, give me five minutes. And he saw splicing. He said, my God, they're right. That was subsequent to the test, maybe five years. They didn't see it when they were taking the sample. Uh, so we believe the date was correct for a sample woven into the cloth during the Middle Ages, maybe as part of the repair after the fire, and that it dated what it should have dated but not indicative of the main body. Why do you think the, the bishops and the popes and the church in general, I mean, dating back to the you know 13th century, the whatever bishop was contemporary there, the kind of the first like straight-up mention of the shroud, one of the first was that a bishop commenting that it was a forgery going around to you know, get money from people. It seems like the church, so we, we have all these bishops and popes who believe that their hands and their words can turn bread into the body of Christ who have authenticated Marian miracles and Eucharistic miracles, and they're so hesitant around the shroud. Why do you think that is? There's there's so much controversy about this thing that a lot of times people's minds are are made up without 
delving into it deeper. You have to really delve into this thing if you want to be intellectually honest. And I think people are looking for things, and when they find them, that satisfies them. Uh, that that's as far as they're going to go. Oh, they found paint specks on the shroud. It's a painting, I told you. No, it was a, a they have it in writing hundreds of years ago where they put painted copies, painted copies over the cloth to sanctify it. That's why the particles were left. No, no, it's indicated that it's a, 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 a forgery. You know, so they, they have preconceived thoughts and ideas that they're not going to uh, shift from. And uh, there have been many men and women over the years in, shroud, in the Shroud world uh, who maintain their argument that it's a forgery in spite of dirt on the feet, pollen particles before the microscope was developed. I mean, it's just absurd. So, you know, I just kind of let those people go and just move ahead with those who are interested in intellectual honesty. You know. So the hesitation. The hesitancy comes from the Catholic Church. Well, yes, I'm saying is, I mean, you know, they, they've they've kind of, you know, popes have been mealy mouth about it that it's an icon. It's yeah. you know, yeah. always been afraid to say it's the real deal or it's a forgery. It's kind of like somewhere in the middle of the road. Like it's like worthy of veneration, but I'm not going to say it's the real thing. But there's lots of things. There's lots of crazy sounding things to you know the average person that the Catholic Church has said are real, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And that's and that's one of the reasons why the many Protestants or evangelicals are turned off. They're not interested in the shroud. Why? Because it belongs to the Catholic Church. And um, as one gentleman who I met years ago uh, uh, at a conference, I was trying to talk to him about the shroud. He said, "Dave, that's a, f- a fake, a forgery." He says, "It's." He said to me, and I'm paraphrasing. He said that it has as much validity, the shroud, as St. Peter's toenails, which no doubt the Catholic Church has as <laughs> relics. And so that's where he was going. They got St. Peter's toenails, and you're going to tell me this rap Christ right. Okay, sure. Some people just... Because the Catholic Church has gone a little overboard in the... Uh, you know, in 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 the in the uh, being proponents of relics, uh, some of them are legit, no question, no question. But when you have hundreds and hundreds, the foreskin of an apostle, <laughs> come on, come on, the foreskin of an apostle. Hey, that's been proven, right, Aaron? Who doesn't yeah. want to have incorruptible foreskin? Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's the foreskin of a saint, but right, right. I mean. Okay, maybe it is, our parish. but I don't want to see it, you know. <laughs> so they put the shroud in with the same, you know, in the same category, and they're terribly wrong, terribly. Hmm. I'm missing the boat. Yeah. This thing should be evangelizing the world. Well, here's what I find interesting about it. So the Catholic Church, despite their hesitancy to officially make whatever their position is official. Yes. It's still hanging on to it. <laughs> you know it, brother. So... They got they got it guarded with bazooka proof glass, covered with a black cloth, and two military men with Uzis standing at either side of it because they believe a Muslim group come in with an, a rocket propelled grenade and like to blow the thing to some of the Yeah. So it's protected, yeah. big time. So sometimes action speaks louder than proclamations. Yeah. 
True. And, you know, I know Rome has tried to take it from Turin. Turin says, it ain't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. This is the Shroud of Turin. You know, the pilgrims that come, the tourists that come to Turin because of the Shroud adds a lot to the public coffers. They ain't giving it to Rome came to Turin. And why did it come to Turin? The Savoy family, 1578, I said 1498, that's wrong. 1578, they brought it over the Alps from France to Italy. Why? Because there was a dude from Milan named Carlos of Borromeo, St. Charles of Borromeo, who was going to come to the Shroud over the Alps to France, walking to venerate it. And the Savoy family said, no, we'll bring it over the Alps to Torino, shorten his walking by foot, um, and to shorten that trip. And it's been there since 1578 for that reason. And that's how FedEx was invented. <laughs> that was DHL. <laughs> yeah. So. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, it's... Uh, there, there's a lot. Unfortunately, there's there, there's a lot of evidence for miracles out there that get put to the side because it's quote unquote the Catholic Church. True. And uh, I mean, again, we went over things like Marian apparitions, and there's hard scientific evidence that these are actual appearances. But if you're not Catholic, you want nothing to do with it. That, yeah. and that's it's so sad, right? Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> there's. Yeah, I try there's... to keep my my mind open. I really do. I try to keep my mind open. I, and um, you know, there's there's something something to these apparitions. There's something to them. Yeah, and I'm not sure what, but there's something to them. It's not yeah. just. I mean, dream and this. Look at that! I got Our Lady of Guadalupe, eight million converts from one apparition. And this thing <laughs> was made of. What? It was made of uh, just uh, uh, material that uh, should have uh, disintegrated yeah. over time. Yeah. And yet it's been preserved. And it's interesting, in 1532, the fire uh, happened in uh, Le Ray, France, 1532. That's also the year Juan Diego, was it, uh, uh, showed the, the tilma. Yep. The cloak. Oh, in Guadalupe. Yeah, in Guadalupe. Same year, 1532. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's, it's also, uh, Henry VIII was also lopping some heads of his wives <laughs> around that era as well. But uh, Well, he was denied divorce, so what are you going to do? Right. Good right. for Netflix series here. <laughs> I think, I mean, there's a few, if you want to go through a few of the other random objections people have heard. I'd be curious for your thoughts on them. So this one's just bugging me because we had the picture up the whole time. And I just... Once somebody said it, I can't unsee it. And maybe I'm just crazy. And it had me doing things like this with my head, trying to compare the size of my head, the size of the head on the shroud. So a couple of scientists brought up that the proportions of the body in the shroud don't match realistic proportions of a body. Most notably, the, the eyes are too high on the forehead. So Baloney. That's all I'll answer okay. that question. Total baloney. It's directly, it's a real human male figure. Uh, a man was about between 5'10 to 6 feet. I believe 6 feet. It's 5'10 to 6 feet, which is not uncommon. They've uncovered bone boxes, ossuaries. The Jews bury two times. They bury in the tomb. After a year, it's all bones. They bury in a limestone box so Uncle Charlie can have the grave next time. <laughs> so, you know... Um, 
think you were saying earlier that it's not a question of is it a person, it's a question of who is the person. Who is the person, that's right. That's a good distinction, because it is a person. You, you don't talk to me about a forgery or a fake, and it, it's concocted. It's a real man. Now, whether you think it's Jesus or not is entirely up to you. But uh, I think uh, the evidence points in one direction strongly. And if you have the courage to say, well, it looks like, sounds like, quacks like, it must be, you know, a duck. So nobody else is like a little bit curious. Are the eyes like a little bit too high on there? I think I mentioned it earlier in the podcast today that I was just wondering how the facial structure, bone structure fit for the geographic um, location and the time. Well, I told you the fella Coons, the anthropologist, said he's in the Middle East, yeah. So, you know. Um, yeah. What are we looking at, though? We're, we're, we're not looking actually at the shroud. Are we? We're just looking we're at looking it. at the photograph in the dark room. It's a positive image on the negative plot. What I'm saying is, would, would the detail be that specific if the shroud were in front of us right now? We were looking at it. No, it wouldn't be, because the three uh, because the the um, the photograph brings out the three dimensional information. This is the only photograph in the world that, if you put it in the three VP8 image analyzer, which they use to scan the surface of the Moon, Mars. So when they bring down the lunar module, they're not landing on the side of a mountain and it falls over. They had to know the topography, the terrain. Mm -hmm. And they put this photograph in, and John Jackson said he knew what Secundo Pia felt like, who took the first photograph when his arm started shaking, he almost dropped it. Because this photograph came out three-dimensional. If they put your photograph or mine in this machine, our face would be completely distorted. We wouldn't even be able to recognize our own image. So here this thing comes back three-dimensional. But you would see, like, if you look up there, you would see, like, the damaged areas and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Have you ever seen a picture of, like, uh, a woman wearing makeup and her face slams up against, like, the car, you know, that leather, and it's just, you see all her Facebook, all her uh, Facebook, all her uh, face uh, makeup Cosmetics. On, on the print? It would look kind of like that. It would be completely distorted, and with, because it's a positive picture of a negative mm -hmm. what we would really see if i am doing this correctly is we will only really see the nose portion because that is what is touching the th the cloth most mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's kind of like um when you're when you're holding your hands to your nose yeah. it's not actually touching your cheeks but because it is taking that photosensitivity so far it is getting that entire layout, and that's how they're getting the three-dimensional picture of it. But the cloth can can drape around your face. It would drape, but the cloth. I mean, we can kind of see the... like the nose is the lightest thing, whereas mm. the cheeks are a little less light than the nose. So that and would indicate like. Now the reason you see, in the image we're looking at, we're looking at the positive image from the dark room, and the nose is white. On the cloth, it's dark. Right, right. Because, and the more uh, the cloth touched the body, the more fibers discolored. Here you see the eye sockets are black. On the cloth itself, they're white because they didn't touch. Right. And yet there was radiation. We believe it was radiation. We believe it was ultraviolet radiation that created the image. Um, That's kind of the same concept as why the United States flag on the moon 
if we even went there, but that's a different story. Was waving. Um, is pure white. <laughs> it's because the sun bleached it. It's the same UV radiation that would mm. technically bleach this uh, cloth. Mm. Wait, so we're saying the cloth was dark and the cloth was made lighter by his body? Or was the cloth light and it was burned by his body, making the parts that were in closest contact darker? The latter. Okay. The latter, yeah. So that wouldn't be like the sun bleaching. That yeah, would be it, it would be a, it a would be a, more of a burn, kind of like a, a microwave almost. You guys. I, feel, I feel like the one thing I like. I'm a little confused why they would be so like the photographer, the atheist photographer. Like, like he's seen a bunch of negatives, and like if I took a picture of you right now, the negative would look kind of like that. Um, I'm like I'm kind of surprised he was so surprised by that, and that he would even be surprised at medieval folks would be surprised by that because they would surely be aware if they were trying to create what would be the outline of someone's, you know, what would be the, the contact points between someone's skin and a cloth. They would be making it darker because they would have recognized, hey, like the oil for my skin would make a cloth darker. Yeah. Um, so I'm like a little surprised they would be so surprised by, I mean, the negative highlights it so much better. Yeah, you don't really see it until you see the negative. Right. And I'm a little surprised that they're so surprised by the negative. <laughs> like I said, um, Nothing like it in, in the world. Uh, uh, the most studied object, uh, many many disciplines, uh, and yet it's it's discounted. It's it's thought of uh, as 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 kind of like a sideshow, a curious artifact. Uh, but yet, when I read the forensic evidence in this National Geo article that I've never never heard before. It just drew me in. I said, this is irrefutable. My father was a criminal defense attorney. So you might expect if he had a bad day in the courtroom, guess who came under direct examination when he came home? Me. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I was able to uh, share with him uh, through the years my feelings in the shroud. He would play devil's advocate with me. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? And I'd have to go out to find the answer to give him. That led me to eight scientific theological conferences around the world, including one in Rome, and I would able to be able to give him the answer to his questions. And I believe the agnostic who he was, and he claimed, came to faith in Christ at the end of his life because as a criminal defense attorney, the evidence, he couldn't get away from it. That this points in one direction. And that's kept my interest all these years and uh, continues to do so. And that's what brought me here. Right? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Man, are we glad to have you tonight? Well, likewise. Yeah. And the Sam Adams aren't too bad either. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, so. Any final thoughts? I, I think it's a, uh, a worthy endeavor to keep studying. Good word. I appreciate you and coming Thank on you. tonight. Thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate you uh, entertaining all my questions. And You're the most knowledgeable guy <laughs> who just learned about it that I've ever met. Well, so what I was actually going to say is my final thought is I, I didn't make the Eucharistic Miracle um, episode, but I had notes. And one of my questions actually was that, was to compare the study of Eucharistic Miracles to the study of the Shroud. Yes. And one thing I thought interesting is how much more engaged the scientific community is with shroud study, like even the, the you know, mainstream, you know, skeptical scientific yes. community. Yes. And I think it's a credit to like, whether you believe it or not, there is a lot of interesting stuff to dig into with Eucharistic miracles. You kind of run into a fundamental like 
chain of custody issue. Um, like, mm-hmm. how do you get to whatever point in AD where you know it's it's been carried by the same people going forward and it's been secure and all that? But with the shroud, you do have this whole interesting question. Even if you're not sure, like, if you don't if you don't believe it's it's uh, an image of Jesus, like, how did that image get there? And that's going to captivate us for a very long time. Oh, um, like, just to what 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 physiological thing could happen? So, mm-hmm. um, it's just something that I've definitely. Um, become more interested through preparing for this episode and through talking to you to learn more about what everybody's saying on either side of that. Um, I don't see the discussion ending anytime soon. Yeah. I I agree with you. Yeah. Good, good. Well, it's, uh, it's no Jesus on toast. That's for sure. (laughs) It's definitely, definitely above, you know, that foam latte marking, but (laughs) I, I I think we got something here. I, Mm. I don't know if it's if it's Jesus himself, but I do believe that it is somebody. Hopefully, it's Jesus. That'd be pr- mm-hmm. really awesome to mm-hmm. get a man, get a face to the man. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, there are, there are definitely a lot of <clears throat> very justifiable, very e- easy explanations once we actually find what those explanations are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what, if it is a normal random human being mm-hmm. and there's going to be a rational explanation for it mm-hmm. i mean the fire the fire is probably where the carbon dating messed up i can almost guarantee that but mm-hmm. who am i to say that <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's it is kind of amazing yeah yeah it, yeah um you know uh, this has floated my boat for four decades now and um you know the age-old question that we've we've been asking for thousands of years: What's the meaning of life? Forty-two. Why am I here? Where am I going? Is there life after death? Mm-hmm. And there's a book, the best-selling book ever written, that tells the story of a man who came. Uh, and uh, was God himself walking in a human body who, because of the hopelessness of man, decided to step into the fray and say, I'll take your punishment because your thoughts, words, and deeds are not holy, and God is holy. You can't stand before him in unholiness. So I'll take the punishment you deserve and I'll be uh, suffering the most despicable form of death anyone could ever endure. For me, is what the book says. And that he got up from death. He rose. Well, that's the story. And there appears to be an object in existence that verifies that truth. When... Thomas heard that Jesus rose from the dead and they walked with him, ate with him, talked to him. He didn't believe it. Who could blame him? He watched his king, his savior, his Lord, be torn to pieces in ways we can't even fathom. He says, I don't believe it unless I put my hands in his wounds and my fingers in his wounds. I won't believe Jesus walked through the wall, said, Thomas, do what you got to do. 
Well, here we have an artifact which seems to verify that story. You know, the Bible talks faith, 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 faith. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are they who haven't seen yet believed. Is the Shroud of Turin for the 21st century doubting Thomas what Jesus appearing before him personally was in the first century? Because you see, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, forever. So what he gave Thomas, why wouldn't he give it to us in the 21st century? And instead of him coming physically in person, which he could do, he's God, he decided, no, I'm going to leave something behind. And at the right time in history, its mysteries are going to be unlocked for a world that is becoming less and less people of faith than in any time in human history. That this cloth that wrapped his body is the witness. As Jesus physically appearing to Thomas, this is the witness for today's age for the skeptic, the doubting Thomas to come. And I believe that's the power of the shroud, mm. that it can change lives and it could verify and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, qualify what the sacred writings of the Bible have to say concerning Jesus Christ, that he's left us something other than the word for the doubting Thomas of the 21st century. I think that's the Shroud's uh, uh, goal or message in this age. Awesome. Yeah. Spoken like a good evangelical. <laughs> So where can people find you for more yeah. information? Well, uh, I don't have a website, but they can. Uh, I'm going to give my phone number out there. Sure, go ahead. 216-668-0040. 216-668-0040. Yeah. And if you Google my name, uh, I have a DVD that's on YouTube. It's about an hour long. Google my name, O-N-Y-S-K-O, David Onesco, and YouTube, and you'll see my DVD. And um, I welcome phone calls. I welcome opportunities to talk on podcasts. I welcome opportunities just to talk on the phone and, um, and to speak, obviously, and bring my artifacts for those to look upon uh, and uh, have their faith verified or maybe enacted within them for the first time. Yeah, I noticed that even uh, awesome. Cleveland Magazine did an article for you. They did many years ago. <laughs> I don't think they're around anymore. It's it's online. Oh, okay, it's still <laughs> online. Okay, That's good. The as a plain dealer, so. <laughs> yeah. It's probably more alive than a plain dealer. Right. 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 <laughs> so, all right. Uh, don't forget to check us out on all of our social media platforms. We're on all of it. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and you can always find us on BibleOverBlues.org or our Patreon page where you can give to us so we can keep giving to you. <laughs> That's right. So, everyone, Godspeed and good night. Adios, amigos.